Welcome to The Connector, where we connect North Carolina to ideas and North Carolinians to each other. This podcast series is from the Institute for Emerging Issues at North Carolina State University. And now to the conversation. Welcome to The Connector podcast from the Institute for Emerging Issues at NC State University. I'm your host, Samantha Graham, filling in for James Herrick. I've been with IEI for a little over a year now, and I help lead IEI's digital inclusion program, Band and C, which stands for Building a New Digital Economy in North Carolina. The mission of the program is to support digital inclusion planning across the state with the goal of every county being covered by a plan by the end of 2024. Thanks to philanthropic and state support, we are well on our way to achieving this goal in partnership with regional, county, and grassroots stakeholders. Today, we're kicking off a new series of episodes leading up to National Digital Inclusion Week in October, exploring the challenges of bridging North Carolina's digital divide. We'll hear from experts on digital equity and inclusion and learn about promising best practices for connecting all North Carolinians. I'm excited to welcome our guest, Amy Huffman. Amy is a policy director with the National Digital Inclusion Alliance. Welcome, Amy. Thanks for joining us today. Hi, Sam. Thanks for having me. I'm so thrilled to be here. It's exciting to be with my fellow North Carolinians. And Amy and I used to work together a long time ago at NC Broadband at the North Carolina Department of Commerce. And it's great to see you again and to be colleagues again. Yes, it absolutely is. So Amy, can you tell us a little bit more about the National Digital Inclusion Alliance and your role as their policy director? Yeah, I'd love to. So the National Digital Inclusion Alliance, or NDIA, um, got started about eight or nine years ago to support and represent folks on the ground doing digital inclusion work day in and day out. So the people um, like Cramden or E2D across the state that are helping people get access to affordable devices, or folks um, like at Durham County Library who are helping folks access digital skills. Um, and so we take, um, first, we operate first and foremost as a community. And so we uh, are essentially like a community of practice where folks come, learn from each other and share best practices. And um, then we take what we learn from them and take that information to policymakers, um, or create toolkits or guides to help support new folks entering the field or help veterans of the field um, increase their impact. And so um, that's what we do and we love doing it. We have today over 1400 affiliates as we call them across the country um, in all 50 states, four US territories and the District of Columbia. So um, lots of great work happening across the country. Um, as policy director, I support our affiliates in advocating for their needs. So take what we hear from our affiliates to policymakers to inform the policy that's going on there. And also take what we hear from Congress and translate that or policymakers in general at the FCC or in TIA or National Telecommunications and Information, take what we hear from them and translate that into what I call normal people speak uh, because they don't speak like normal people up there in D.C. So. Sounds like a lot of partners and a lot of coordination. Um, do you feel like your role and the role of NDIA has changed a lot since the pandemic started? Oh, yeah, absolutely. So uh, NDIA had two and a half people prior to the pandemic, right? Like this work has exploded since the COVID-19 pandemic and it, the need for it isn't any different, right? Like you and I know we've been doing this work for 
13 years. Yeah. 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 Over a decade at this point. Um, And like we've always said, this, this work is important, right? And broadband is essential and digital inclusion is essential. Um, And yet, you know, there wasn't the, the buy-in, the political buy-in or leadership, the political leadership or funding to like act uh, to support this work at the scale it needed to be supported until the pandemic. And the pandemic really helped shine that light on the need for um, digital inclusion practitioners to exist, um, mm-hmm. for funding to exist to get broadband to unserved areas. Um, so, yes, our work has changed. Uh, I would say the work has scaled and grown. Um, Our role has not shifted that much at NDIA. Um, We still support our community. That is still the thing we do and the thing we will always do. And we always look for ways to continue doing that. Um, We do consider ourselves a leader in the field. And so we we do think that, you know, this field is constantly changing. And so we're trying to continue to look ahead, right? At what's coming next? What do we need to have um, at the top of our minds to make sure that our field is prepared for whatever's next, right? Um, right. So for instance, next week, we are gathering as a team um, for a team retreat and we're working on strategic plans. So that'll be a big topic of conversation there is what's next? What do we need to care about? What do you need to look forward to for the, for to make sure the whole field is prepared? Right. Um, in relation to like the pandemic and your NDIA scaling up, um, broadband policy has really scaled up over the past couple of years too. So it's been almost two years since the infrastructure bill was passed. Um, what have the last two years looked like in terms of its implementation? That's a little wild. (laughs) (laughs) I like vividly remember when it was passed. Um, and the night it passed, we put in we put in so much work to have the Digital Equity Act included and to make sure the Affordable Connectivity Program uh, looks like it does, and then to also make sure that the the BEAD program or Broadband Equity Access and Deployment actually included equity in it. So we put a ton of work into that. And then I remember when the law passed and was it was passed, some friends and I who have been working on it uh, were texting and. I, ha- I had this moment of, yay, that's great. And then like reality for me was, oh, the work is just now starting. Mm-hmm. Like, there's so much work to be done. So I, um, in addition to working, you know, supporting our affiliates by representing their needs to policymakers, I also support the states in um, in this work. And states have a big, it pr- primarily due to the work that you and I did at, at the state. Um, and then I also stayed on with the broadband office for several years. Um, and so I have special love for states and, and, the, and their role in this work. And so, you know, immediate, so the states have a huge role in um, the implementation of the, both the broadband equity access and deployment program and the digital equity act. So states um, essentially are receiving block grants. It's, it's way more complicated than that. And there's lots of formula and lots of controversy over this for both programs. Um, but at its simplest form, they're essentially receiving block grants to get access to unserved areas through the BEAD program and underserved areas and community anchor institutions. And then through Digital Equity Act, it's their uh, role is to create statewide digital equity plans and then to implement those plans, right? And um, 
The good news is, is that many states already had broadband deployment funding programs. North Carolina had one, right? Mm -hmm. The the great grant program. Uh, Other states already had that as well. Most states, however, did not have any any one or any programs geared towards digital equity. So North Carolina was ahead in that it actually had a person dedicated to digital equity um, and now has an office, which is also not the norm. Um, and so we we knew that would be an issue, right? That in order to do this work, you need people that are actually doing the work. So the first thing we did is made a bunch of calls to the broadband offices and said, hey, are you thinking about hiring anyone for this position, right? Like to, to lead this uh, planning process that's coming. We also supported, and, and so we also supported states by creating a state digital equity cohort where um, they could talk with each other and learn from each other. So this is a unique moment in time where every state is going and territories are going through this process together. And so in terms of implementation, what I would say has happened is that states have staffed up right? Mm -hmm. Most states now have a digital equity manager or multiple people. Some even have offices. Um, That's great. Um, In addition, most states are, well, they are all in their planning process for the Digital Equity Act plans. Some are near the end, some are about halfway through, some are about a quarter of the way through, but they're all in that process. Most plans will be complete by the end of this year. Um, Some may have extensions that go through first quarter next year, first couple months. Um, so that's where we are. The Once the plans are complete, then states will be eligible to receive capacity awards to go implement those plans. Um, and we still have to see the notice of funding opportunity come out of NTIA for that. That'll be sometime first quarter next year. Um, so once states receive those funds, they'll implement the plans, set up potentially set up grant programs, things of that nature, um, starting sometime next year, probably midway through next year. That's a pretty quick timeline for a lot of work and a lot of partners. Um, We really appreciate, of course, NDIA's support here in North Carolina, and we're excited to celebrate Digital Inclusion Week in the first week of um, October. Uh, Could you tell us a little bit more about the origins and the goals of this week, as I think the NDIA was the first group to really champion this week? Yeah, actually, it's the brainchild of our executive director, Angela Seifer. It started out as just a day, um, which I had forgotten about. And she reminded us that yesterday that, yeah, it just actually started as a day. Um, And then it grew to a week. And then actually yesterday, some of our affiliates were saying it should be a whole month. And we were like, oh, we'll need to hire like three more people. (laughs) That's going to be the case. But yeah, it's intended. Part of our role at NDIA is to particularly pre-pandemic, we don't have to do as much of this anymore, but still it's important to raise awareness, right, around the digital divide, how it impacts people, how um, it prevents school kids from getting their homework done or uh, a senior from accessing their doctor or, you know, so it's important to talk to, to, to build awareness around the issue. Um, it's also important to celebrate. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, they're, right. like, as you just mentioned, there's so much work that's been done in the past few years and our affiliates are amazing and doing that hard, really hard work day in and day out. And so it's a moment in time to get to celebrate that work, that progress, um, where we are as a field 
and uh, to to get to enjoy that as a community. Um, it's also important because it helps um, reinvigorate policymakers. So right now we're in a fight to save the Affordable Connectivity Program. Mm -hmm. So the week will provide an opportunity for folks to say, hey, this, this is really important. This is changing my life. This is helping me get access to the internet. Um, and this year's theme is building connected communities. And so it's really important in terms of helping spotlight how this work is community driven, why it's so important that this, that all, all of this work is local. I had the privilege of joining the Center for Digital Equities um, call yesterday and Pat Millen of E2D is celebrating their 10 year anniversary of being in the field, which is amazing. Mm -hmm. um, they provide computers to low income families in the Charlotte Mecklenburg region and also in the Western part of the state. And I've known Pat for a long time. And so to see how far the organization has come and how many families they served is amazing. And what he, he noted yesterday is that this work is local and it's all about relationships. It's all about trust and in, in gaining trust with um, communities that are disproportionately affected by the digital divide. So communities of color or um, communities, you know, refugees or communities who have just been disadvantaged and oppressed. Mm -hmm. That right. building trust takes a long time. Digital Inclusion Week gives an opportunity to spotlight that and how important it is that that work is locally driven and community-based. So that's why we're excited to provide resources for others to take up the mantle and host events in their communities. Yeah, and we um, appreciate your work in doing that. Um, you mentioned the need to kind of spotlight the ACP and its importance and how needs to continue. Can you speak a little bit more about what the ACP is and then what may happen next year if it's not continued? Yeah, absolutely. So the ACP or the Affordable Connectivity Program uh, was included in the Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act. So it's nearly two years old itself, but actually it was first established in the Consolidated Appropriations Act of 2020. Um, and it at that time was known as the Emergency Broadband Benefit and it was in response to COVID, right? People didn't have access to the internet in large part because they couldn't afford it. And so the EBB was intended to help support that. Um, and then when the Infrastructure Act came about, you know, Congress recognized that, wow, this program is making a big difference in people's lives. It provided, the EBB provided a $50 benefit to low-income households to get online um, per month. And so in the Affordable Connectivity Program, they upped that dollar amount to $14.2 billion uh, towards the program, but decreased the benefit size to $30 a month to actually hopefully um, lengthen the life of the program. And, um, and then also made a couple other tweaks like the name change. Um, the program sits at the Federal Communications Commission. They manage the program and um, a consumer that's eligible for the program can use it for any type of broadband provider. So whether that's their wireless provider or their wireline provider, um, they can use that $30 benefit um, towards their monthly internet bill. And it's $75 on tribal lands. Um, so, so that's it in a nutshell. There's also a $100 device benefit um, if the provider offers devices. 
The challenge with the program is that it's really popular, which is a good thing. Yeah. So yeah. almost almost 21 million households are enrolled in the program. I know North Carolina's numbers are quite high of numbers of households um, enrolled. And I think that's in large part because of the work you do and, and others throughout the I think state. it's a little over 800,000 now. Which is wonderful, right? So many people benefiting. Um, and what we've seen across the country is that in some cases, it's households who already had internet. And so this is adding extra money into their budget for medicine or food or childcare. Um, and in some cases, it's it's help support people who've never been online, get online. Right now, our projections are, and many of our partners' projections are, is that while $14.2 billion is a lot of money, it will run out. And it will run out likely sometime first quarter or by second quarter next year. So we think somewhere in the April to June timeframe of 2024, the funds will run out. And in order for the program to continue, we need a long-term sustainable solution. In order to get there, we need more time. So we need Congress to to act and um, provide bridge funding for the program through the end of what we hope end of next year. And then hopefully we can find a long-term solution, uh, whether that is universal service reform or some other mechanism that provides funding towards the program. We see it's it's clearly benefiting so many people um, and we definitely need Congress to act. Well, thank you for your work on that. And we're um, looking forward to seeing, I'm sure, some progress being made at the national level. So we've talked a little bit about some partners here in North Carolina, the Center for Digital Equity, E2D, Cramden. From a national perspective, how is our state, North Carolina, doing in its efforts towards digital inclusion? Well, I'm a little biased. So (laughs) I'm standing right now in Durham, North Carolina. For those of you that don't know, I live in the state and a native North Carolinian and from Boone. So I'm a little biased, but... um, in all uh, kidding aside, North Carolina is, has been and continues to be a leader in this space, um, which I'm very proud of and exci- so excited to see people like you doing great work to make sure that's happening. That said, there's lots of great stuff happening across the country, and we're really excited to see that and be part of that. I had the privilege to visit Alaska and yeah get to talk to folks who are supporting that planning process. Um, And it was really exciting to see how the folks that are in charge of the plan, the digital equity plan, um, they're really empowering community-based organizations to do the listening across the state. Um, So I talked to one gentleman who rode for two days on a dog sled to get to a very remote village to ask them how what they wanted to be in the plan and and to listen and learn from them uh, about their realities. So it's really exciting to see things like that happening across the country. Um, and there's best practices and, and really exciting things popping up all over. Um, for instance, in Maine, there's a lot of really exciting work going on. Um, a lot of coalition and community capacity building. Um, in Louisiana, there's some really smart thinkers who are thinking really innov- innovatively about how to bring philanthropy to the table to help support the planning process and, and uh, implementation. 
I could go on and on. There's yeah, no, that's something really amazing. exciting for Outside of the planning process, um, have you seen other interesting projects or like implementation strategies in other states that we could bring back to North Carolina or like, you know, make it fit with our communities? Definitely. I would say, you know, again, thinking back to what we just talked about, how this work is inherently local, that it's actually local communities or small community-based organizations who are the ones that are innovating not to knock the states, but they're newer to this field, right? Like they, many of them, many of the folks writing these plans were just hired within the last year. Um, So they are mostly new to the field. So the real innovations we haven't, that they will create, we haven't seen yet. They're still drafting them in their plans, right? Right. So most of the exciting work that we see is, is actually local. Um, so in Chicago, their coalition is doing some really interesting work. Um, and I will say most of the work that's interesting that we're seeing is coming out of coalitions across the country. And we're seeing an explosion of digital inclusion coalitions. And I know North North Carolina has several, um, but that is where we're seeing a lot of really interesting work happen. And in some states, those coalitions are forming like a coalition of coalitions, in Texas and New York, Alaska, actually now, I think there's some other places as well where those coalitions of coalitions are working together to both inform the planning process, support the planning process, and advocate for their needs, particularly in places where some of the policymakers aren't as receptive, right? Right. I think that's been um, something very interesting coming out of just the pandemic and all of the um funding coming down is that people from other fields are bringing innovative experiences and perspectives, like people from childcare, people from library schools. Um, and it's not just government anymore that's doing this work. Yeah, absolutely. And that's both happening at the local level in the coalitions. And we are absolutely encouraging that. And it's happening at the state level. So a lot. So we have this state digital equity cohort and we went around one day and everyone talked about what field they came from and and no one came from the broadband field. Like it was, it was really interesting. People, I mean, I'm sure there were a couple of people, I shouldn't say no one, um, but um, it was really interesting. Like people were coming from healthcare, from philanthropy, from, um, from education, from workforce development, from environmental science, like, and so it was really fascinating. And so, yes, it's becoming a, um, it's becoming a, it's a great testament to the field. Yeah. It really shows the, how broad digital inclusion really is across all sectors. And it's kind of bringing everyone together right now for a common goal, which um, I know you've been working towards for, as we mentioned, over a decade and people in North Carolina have been working for many decades on this goal. And, um, in that vein, what still gives you hope amidst all the challenges that we're still facing in this field, like the ACP potentially ending, and just how much work it truly is? Um, what kind of you know gets you up in the morning? That's a good question. Well, the work—I mean, the work gets me up in the morning. Well, that and having a kid, you have to get up for and take to school. Um, but no, the work. Um, it is so exciting to me because uh, even though, yes, there are people who've been doing this for some time and like we we have to thank the people who came before us in North Carolina, like James Smith Patterson and 
and Angie Bailey um, and who have done for decades amazing work. It's still a relatively new field, particularly the digital inclusion. Um, mm-hmm. So for me, it's so exciting to be part of the this movement to create this field, right? And to be part of of defining what what it looks like. It gives this this moment in time gives me a lot of hope. I'm not I'm I am eyes wide open that uh, politicians are are flaky, <laughs> and uh, there's always another bright shiny object. It's not always going to be digital inclusion, and yet this moment is wholly unique and has the opportunity to really. Well, I don't think by the end of this, we will close the digital divide. I do think we have the opportunity to change millions of people's lives and to set up systems that can forever be in place to support um, new digital divide or support closing or addressing new digital divides as they come. And so it's for that reason that I continue to do this work and am super excited about it. Um, And then the last thing I'll say, is just the people in this field are amazing and so lovely to work with and so generous and so willing to share expertise. And it is really a community effort. Um, Funding, I I have high hopes that funding won't change that, right? Um, I, I, you know, sometimes you see clause come out when there's money involved, but I don't think that's the case with the digital inclusion field um, and particularly our affiliates. People really support each other and care about each other because a rising tide lifts all boats in this field, right? And so it only makes sense to share knowledge and best practices with each other. And so that's the other reason why I love this field and stay in it. Well, thank you so much. It really is a collaborative effort across the country and especially here in North Carolina. Um, I'd like to thank our guest, Amy Huffman, Policy Director with the National Digital Inclusion Alliance. Thank you so much for being here today. For more information on Band and C and efforts to close the digital divide in North Carolina, visit emergingissues.org. Until next time, let us all stay connected. This has been a presentation from the Institute for Emerging Issues at North Carolina State University. To learn more, please visit us at emergingissues.org.